Episode 56 of the US Sports Podcast with me, Max Whittle. And Games 1 from the Eastern Conference and Western Conference in the NBA are underway. LeBron James and the Cavaliers in Boston go down one to nothing against these incredible Celtics. And the Warriors take Game 1 in Houston against the number one seeded Rockets. Dennis Syatt, who hosts the podcast X and O's and is an NBA and F1 commentator and host for Play Sports TV in Belgium, is my guest today and will be my guest throughout the NBA Conference Finals and Finals. Let's get to our chat after Games 1 in both series. I just want to start, and I'm looking at my notes uh, from, from Celtics Cavaliers. And the first thing I've written is Marcus Morris comments. And I was kind of writing these things down as I watched the game, and I've got it on again now. Mm-hmm. What did you make of, first of all, the comments, and then actually the performance, which in a, in a set, it essentially backed up what he said, that he did guard LeBron pretty well? He did, but he wasn't the only one. Mm. They threw so much bodies at him. Uh, my first thought, I immediately thought of Gerald Wilkins. I don't know if you remember it, but Gerald Wilkins, uh, when he was on the Knicks, he told everybody uh, he was the Michael, he was the Jordan stopper. Um, and the Knicks won the first two games in that series in '93, um, but then Jordan took off. So I was really afraid for for Boston that that was going to turn out badly. And I, th- I still think it can be. I, th- I still think LeBron will take it personally. Actually, will take it personal. So. I didn't like the comments, but he did a good job. But but it wasn't only Marcus Morris, right? No. They had so many bodies to throw at LeBron, and they switched it up. They put Al Horford on it. They put Tatum on it. They put Brown on it. They put, put Marcus Bard on it. They're just so versatile in defense. The only one who really can't do a thing against LeBron. Okay, nobody can guard LeBron, but you know what I mean. Uh, nobody can really challenge him is Rozier, I think. He's the only one who just who can't switch on LeBron and make it a little bit harder for him. The old... All the other Celtics can do something against him, I think. But what they, <laughs> that was my... Yeah, and I agree with you. What they did well as with that size was if they the LeBron-Kevin Love pick-and-roll that they tried to go to a lot early, if they had James in the post, the Celtics would double switch, where if Rozier was mm-hmm. caught on LeBron, you would just have Brown or, or Tatum or Morris just fire over and make sure he was out of there quickly. And I know this has been written about a lot since game one. The the reaction time of the Cavaliers in those sets, when they did have the matchup they wanted, they didn't exploit it quickly enough. And it allowed the Celtics to switch back and get a bigger man on LeBron. But it was by committee. They've got great length. Marcus Smart, I think, is annoying on the perimeter. Just a, a team cohesion thing that... I mean, we always go back to Brad Stevens, but you have to credit the players because... They give an effort that Cleveland just don't. And they still have to execute what Stevens wants, too. I think uh, another thing that maybe a lot of people don't notice is how active their hands are. Every every Celtic defender who goes up against LeBron has really active hands, and that bothers LeBron. You saw that in, 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 in Game 1, that it, it bothered him a little bit. On the other side, if LeBron just made his, his shots, because OG Ananobi also gave him a little bit of, of space... Um, when LeBron had the ball, and LeBron just knocked down shot after shot after shot, and he just didn't do that in Game 1, besides of the turnovers, of course, but the shots he, he took and he missed, those were shots he scored against the Raptors. So, they did a good job, but I always have in the back of my mind that if LeBron knocks him down, if he just finds the, not, not the confidence, because he always had, has the confidence, but if he just finds the stroke he had against Toronto, that we get a whole different ball game, I think. Yeah, and you've had the post-game comments from James, and he recited this two-minute passage to start the second half. and That was cool. Yeah, but everyone's been going a bit wild about that, in my opinion, because I get that he's got a great memory, and I think a lot of great players have that. Steve Kerr mentioned it before they played the Rockets, that he remembers so many of the plays during those championship runs with the Bulls, and great players just have a mind like that. I think what's concerning is that He's never had a team this bad defensively and, and Tyron Lue now has to really consider starting Tristan Thompson because, and I don't think he will, but the length that he, he, he has seen that he needs now really is essential and going back to those guys that won the championship. Cleveland started 0 for 14 from 3, so that won't happen again. They did have open looks that they missed, but the problem I have 
is that James, for all he says, a game one was a feel-out game, and by the third quarter, I think he pretty much packed it in and just wanted to see what coverages the Celtics were giving him. It mm. do, I don't think offensive improvement matters a jolt if they can't improve defensively, because the Celtics will always have that defensive presence. Yeah, that's true. Totally agree with that. Totally agree uh, with that. Um, and that's the big problem. But um, I also agree with the Tristan Thompson uh, comment you said, by the way. I don't think it's going to it's gonna happen, but they have to start him. Just, they need an answer for, for Al Horford for his pick and pop. Um, they just don't know what to do with that. And it's, it's not quite predictable, but I think you can do a better job on Al Horford. It's not like Horford is Anthony Davis. He's playing great this playoffs. Let me make, make sure of that. But it's not like he's Anthony Davis. No. So don't treat him like like Anthony Davis. What I liked about um, the defense of Boston, if we get into that, was you had Marcus Smart and Aaron Baines, who at one point double team love in the post. Aaron Baines co- came over pretty pretty early as soon as he saw that 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 matchup. And Marcus Smart, he can post up on offense and he can get on your in your grill on defense. But Baines came he's over so and strong. helped him. He's so strong. He's a real tough body and. You also had guys closing out on shooters, and and that really does have an impact because, for instance, J.R. Smith, he didn't score until there were four minutes left in the second. You have guys like Morris, Horford, Tatum, Brown, big bodies who are boxing out, are closing out on shooters, and that's not what you had with Cleveland. Their rotations were just crisper and quicker, and they seemed like their game plan was there, whereas Cleveland, and I've seen this for a lot of this year, is they just don't have much of a game plan they just come out and basically stand around and watch what LeBron will do and he will create but that isn't necessarily an actual system of play no it isn't it isn't and they need something else and if you see the difference between what the Cavs were doing in offense and what Boston was doing in offense with uh, uh, the crisp movement without the ball that was that's so important in basketball how people move without the ball and I think if a lot of people touch the ball, if you see movement in your team with your teammates, then it just gives the team more energy too. And you saw that with with uh, with the Celtics time and time again. They, if you make a good play as a team, it gives your team energy. And with Cleveland, only LeBron and sometimes Kevin Love can make a real good play for somebody else for the team. And that that just isn't enough. And that's pure offensively. In defense, of course, yeah, we we know about the Cavs' problems. The defense been like that all season. Um, but it's something that has to change. And I'm wondering if, if Tyron Lue will even give Larry Nance another opportunity. I know he, I know he doesn't have experience, uh, but I think with his energy, with the defensive ability he has, if he's not the best defender, but he can do something mm. on that end. I think he could have quite an impact in this series, actually. So I hope, um, just to get some excitement in the series, um, that he's going to use Larry Nance uh, at some point. And now you're hearing that this trade they made at mid-season really was for Larry Nance Jr. and the future of Larry Nance Jr., George Hill as well. But George Hill has a lot of injury concerns. He's actually healthy now. He's playing and he's obviously a key part of that because he can defend Rozier to a certain extent. He's a big body. But what they're also figuring out is that Jordan Clarkson, who I definitely think that LeBron James called Jordan Crawford for for a reason, because he's a gunner, and and I tweeted during the game that Clarkson has never passed. I don't think he's ever looked to pass the ball, and he will never consider that he has on his team the greatest player of this generation in the post, looking for the ball. But he will still pull up and shoot. And then you have Rod- <laughs> you have Rodney Hood, who scored two points in the Raptors series combined. He looked to be aggressive early in the Celtics game, but still, that's just a lacking depth of team really and and Clarkson is not a good player we're finding that out that's true totally agree totally agree and can he give one pass please just just for once give a pass <laughs> Jordan just give a pass <laughs> I, I absolutely um, the Cavs they averaged 118 points against Toronto they had 35 in the first half against Boston and we've already talked about Celtics switching everything swarming double teams of LeBron you had, I mean, Kevin O'Connor pointed out that you had Al Horford or Aaron Baines just shade to the middle of the court when LeBron was bringing the ball up in transition. And some and some points, he passed the ball out to Love for an open three. Others, it kind of affected his flow. What do you think has to change um, for this Cavs offense if the Celtics remain as they everyone expects they will? Yeah, it's, 
it's a difficult question because you know it's Brad Stevens. You know that he's is a really smart coach. So you know the ne- next game will be totally different. You we won't see the same defensive schemes uh, the Celtics had in in game one. You know it will be totally different. Um, but I think the most important thing for once, and it's it's, it's so. It's like we say in Dutch, uh, an open door in trapper, uh, <laughs> kicking uh, through an open door. Um, they just have to knock down more shots. Yeah. Sometimes it's just that easy. Like you said, it took until the second half before J.R. Smith scored a shot. Um, Kevin Love had he missed nine of his fourteen uh, field goal attempts. LeBron was five of sixteen. Um, Jordan Clarkson four of eleven. They just need to score more. It's it's really that simple. But on the other hand, it's not that simple because it's the Celtics defense that made made them miss a lot of shots too. Um, so I'm really curious how uh, Brad Stevens will adapt his, his game plan. Actually, that that's what I'm what I'm most more more curious about than what Cleveland will do to adapt to the scheme. Because at the end of the day, it's also really predictable. But it's all about all about LeBron. It's all about what LeBron is going to do, how he's going to to play in game two, and how he's going to uh, get his teammates involved, and mm. the amount of little help he's going to get. But I think LeBron will go. I think LeBron will go off tonight. Actually, well, I that, think he will explode. That's it, isn't it? Because I think they've had a couple moments in this postseason where James has not not checked out, but he's been close to that Almost. that mindset where James just feels like he can't. He can't consider that anyone around him is is going to get to his level, and a lot of the time that's very true. And there was I think a... we had that in game three against Indiana, right? There's one sequence that he thought he was fouled, mm. and Indiana went on a fast break, and he just stayed in the backcourt. He just stayed complaining to the rest. Go run back, run back. That that's what the team needs, um, and that's something you, you didn't see LeBron doing against Toronto. If he didn't get a call, he would run back, and then he would complain. And I would just be concerned about that if Boston come out to another quick start, which is why I agree. I think James will be the aggressor early on. He likes to get to the paint, spin move, layup, and he'll continue to do that. He he might post up more. I know he doesn't like to do that these days, but he will look to post up. He'll look to get early baskets. And I think that's how Cleveland will set up. Is essentially LeBron will try and score early and also they need to go to Kevin Love more and early and often because that was that was a big part of the Raptors series you had Siakam and Ananobi on LeBron and I think Ananobi played him pretty well but Kevin Love was able to get his shot down low and on the outside because when when he feels like he's a big part of the team and the system early on that's when he's at his best that's when he gives you more effort and I think along with Corver and Smith hitting shots and LeBron coming out and scoring a, a bunch, they have to get Love involved. But as you say, Brad Stevens starts Marcus Morris. That was his big change. And even though Morris picked up two early fouls, he kept him in. And that's what I liked about I like about Stevens. He does that often with two fouls. And Jeff Van Gundy even said, I think this is a five-game series. He really believes that Boston are a better team. And that's why I mentioned the LeBron mindset is... You know, he's big. He might be overwhelmed if they win game two, and you just see the young, the talent, the effort that they bring. And thinks, well, actually, we're not as good as this team, and this is the first time I've really had to do a lot more than usual. Yeah, that's true. But Indiana was a better team than Cleveland too. Okay, Boston is a way better team than Indiana was. But if you purely look at the team aspect, um, isn't Toronto? Doesn't Toronto have a better team than Cleveland does? Well, how about this? If you looked at that Pacers series and what happened, and you look at what's happened in Game 1 of this Celtic series, what are you thinking about Toronto right now, that they just went down in a whimper? But It's just it's just all a mind game for, for the Raptors. They just they see LeBron entering the building, doesn't matter what, build, what building, just if it's a building and they have to play against <laughs> LeBron James' team, they see LeBron walking through the door and they're already, already screwed. Look at the... The ending of game one, how can you screw that up, for real? How can you miss all those tip-ins? Mm. Jonas Valanciunas, he's a seven-footer. Dunk the ball through the hoop, man. Dunk I heard David Thorpe talk about it on uh, on the low post on Zach Lowe's podcast, too. Um, there were many better options than just tipping the ball up again and again and again. Do something strong with it. You had the time. You had the time to even swing it out, get a shot, or swing it out and go straight to the hoop again. Mm. 
So I think they wouldn't have made those mistakes, the Raptors. They wouldn't have missed all those tip-ins or done the same things if they were playing against another team. I really think it just really, really rattles them. And then after that, after game one, yeah, you knew it was over. You already knew it. So I don't think that can happen with Boston because they're so resilient. And they have somebody like Brad Stevens on the sidelines. He doesn't ever show real emotion. He just always calm, always steady. And I think that helps if you're a player and things are going badly or going in the wrong direction and you feel like you're losing grip. You know, you have that sometimes where you're on the field and you, you start losing it. You don't know if, if the team is doing well. And you look at the sideline and you see your coach who is calm and steady and who says reassuring things and who always knows to adapt on the fly. That's something that Dwayne Casey, for example, didn't do or didn't do fast enough. Look at the, you mentioned Kevin Love. Look at how Kevin Love abused CJ Miles time and time again in the post. And Casey just didn't react. If that would happen against Boston, for example, against Marcus Morris, and Morris mm. gets beaten two times, the next time, Marcus Morris won't be defending Kevin Love. Or they'll, be, they'll, will, be. they'll send help. And that's, it's a great point because Dwayne Casey... A lot of the the big a big reason why he was fired is because he could never adjust against the uh, the Cavs specifically, and he would never double. When LeBron hit that game winner in Game Three, Ananobi was guard, guarding him the whole way. CJ Miles flirted with helping him, and I don't want to get too much into the Raptors series, but the way the Celtics defended LeBron in Game One, they specifically said, "We are not going to let James beat us. We can we can handle Kevin Love." or Carl Corver or J.R. Smith going for 25, 28 points. But we're not going to give LeBron 40. And that's how the Cavs will win. Boston will make sure they send quick doubles, they trap him, they rotate. And that's, that's why Stevens is great, but that's why this team is great, because they really feel like this is their moment. And that was the big yeah, change. totally agree. That totally was the big agree. difference. Um, yeah. yeah, totally agree. And, and, and we have to mention, if we're talking about, about Boston already, so... We have to mention Al Horford. Um, I already said it's not Anthony Davis. But how good has he been in these playoffs, Al Horford? He's playing with so much. I've never seen him play with this much confidence. I think that's the biggest difference. Um, he's just so confident in everything that he does. The way he drives to the basket, he's got more fire in it, more determination. Uh, he shoots it good, but... He's diving after loose balls and he's just being a real leader on the court. And it's, you can't say that the Celtics are Horford's team, but in some way they are. You know what I mean? He's clearly tired of losing to LeBron as well, even going back, <laughs> even going back to his Hawks days with Atlanta. And what I like about I mean, last season with Boston, a lot of talk was about the Isaiah Thomas, Al Horford pick and roll, and it was very effective. But I really feel like Horford loves playing for this team and, and the situation they're in, he is the one that has basically said, look, why do we have to wait until Gordon Hayward and Kyrie Irving come back next season? We understand that we could have four draft picks next season. We could be even better. We have two superstars coming back from injury. We have the best rookie and one of the best rookies that probably, as Bill Simmons said, he thinks is the best rookie Tatum since Larry Bird. Why wait until next season? And I also I also think that Tatum, by the way, is the best rookie of this generation. I think he will be the best player out of the whole lot. And even even with Ben Simmons, I think Tatum will be an absolute superstar. He, he's the future of the NBA because he can do... I, I don't want to overreact. Like, I don't want to overreact to Game 1. I don't want to overreact to Tatum's season. But he can do everything because he's long. He can get mm -hmm. to the basket. He can dunk. He can shoot. And... And the three, there was a three, I recall, he hit over Thompson, and I think it was Thompson, in garbage time in game one. And it was... A it, step back. It was a step back three, and it was almost like, are you are you 20? Are you a rookie? And the playoff stage, I mean, I was in Boston for the Bucks series game one, and that feels like a long time ago now. <laughs> and a lot of questions were about, you know, Tatum in his first season in the playoffs, you know, six years ago, we saw the picture of him and LeBron and he was asking for a follow on Twitter when he was 14. And and you just think, along with Rozier, they were both at LeBron's skills camp a few year, only a few years ago, four years ago. And now they're doing what they're doing. I just give, I don't want to just give Stevens credit. I want to say that these guys, and going back to your question about Al Horford, he's the perfect player. He's the perfect foil, the leader to have in this team because... Stevens can trust him. 
He can yeah. play defense against your best point guard, your best center, and really one of the biggest matchups going into this series was Kevin Love and Al Horford, and so far Horford has has won that battle, and it'll be interesting to see what happens in game two. And it's proving again and again and again why he's an all-star. And there were so many people doubting him. Don't know why they were. Because um, he's not sexy, right? He's not a sexy yeah, all-star. That's true. that's true. He doesn't have sexy numbers either, uh, but he's an amazing player. And the Jason Tatum thing, um, like you said, don't want to overreact to one game, don't want to overreact to one season. But you just the eye test just fit, is right. You see him play, you see him move, you see how he defends. People didn't think he would be quite good at that end in the beginning of his career. And he's developed amazingly, I think, uh, in defense. And then in offense, the, the confidence, the swagger he plays with. Um, he's got a great three-point shot, even though he didn't shoot it greatly, uh, great in the first uh, two rounds. But he's got a great shot, beautiful technique. He's a lot He's versatile. Um, he's fluent in his movements, too. Mm. So, yeah, I think, and he can finish from outside and inside. He's got a great soft touch, um, and he's got a, a good head. I think that's something that we forget sometimes, but he's got a good head on his shoulders, and that, that will make a big difference. And game two, only a couple of hours away now when I post this, and I think one thing you should look for, Tristan Thompson potentially starting more minutes for Larry Nance Jr., and Boston will have to react. Whether they start Morris again, I expect them to, but you might see more of Aaron Baines alongside Horford if and when Tyron Lue goes to a bigger lineup. Uh, Jalen Brown was aggressive early. Rodney Hood was aggressive early, but it kind of petered out. There's going to be, as they say, the terrible cliche, it's a chess match, and there's going to be changes. But I wanted to talk to you about the West now. Warriors 1-0 up against the Rockets. Um, my, I watched this this morning. I got up to watch it, and... My immediate thought, Draymond Green, when he shoves James Harden early on in the game, and then he was joined with the refs, and then he was called for a foul on a screen that was, it was a foul. His, his elbows were up, but he was just constantly getting on the, on the officials. And there was one, one point particularly that is what I'm going to get to you in a second. When he fouled P.J. Tucker on a three in the corner, he'd already picked up the technical on Harden. And it was clearly a foul. He jumped into Tucker, three shots at the line, and he was going on at the ref saying that Tucker had stuck his leg out or whatever. And in the and Reggie Miller and Chris Webber were saying, any other player, any other moment, he's picking up his second technical there and he's gone. And without knowing the score, early in the game, Rockets' crowd was great. I was thinking to myself, Draymond Green is going to lose this game for the Warriors. <laughs> That's and, funny that you say that because my notes... Saying it was before um, Weber and Miller said it. They said Draymond Green will get ejected. Forward line, Warriors will lose. <laughs> yeah, and I think everyone, when you see that, you just think back to the finals two years ago and what happened with him and LeBron. Um, but actually, he proved that he is an absolutely fantastic defender in two-on-one situations. He has got incredible instincts. He was great guarding Capella. I only remember probably three of those classic Harden to Capella lobs. That's how good Green was. Yeah. What was your uh, what was going through your mind when you saw Draymond shove Harden, which was there was nothing in it. It was early on, and the Rockets were up, I think, eight or nine. I didn't understand why. Firstly, I didn't understand why he was so so mad after he got the tech because it was more than logical that he got a technical foul for it. He told the refs that Harden pushed him through or something like that. You you didn't see a thing of that. So. I thought that Raymond would be out really quickly, actually. Uh, but it says a lot about his reputation that he could stay in the game, that the refs, they give him a quick tech, okay, but then they they can take more verbal abuse, apparently, uh, from Green. Um, but I was really worried for, for the game and for the Warriors itself, But because you know that without Green, you could have you could have a blowout, because he's so important at the defensive end. Like you said, he did a great job against Capella. But the more important thing to me is the way he played as a free safety, actually. Um, he was just everywhere. Everything he needed to correct from one of his teammates, he tried to help. He was organizing the defense. He was uh, jumping in the passing lanes. Um, and then uh, the work he did against Capella, we forget, sometimes we forget. Draymond Green is only six foot seven. He's not a tall guy. Mm. Um, Kevin Durant is seven foot. He really is. But Draymond Green isn't that much taller than I am, for example. I'm six foot five. And... But then he goes against a guy like Capella, who is also a genuine seven-footer. 
and he just holds his ground and he uses his body quite, uh, quite well. He's got those long arms with the, with the fantastic wingspan. Um, and, and, and then, yeah, we have the fire report that could have gotten him ejected, but I think that fire report also is important for the team because it gets them going and they need someone like someone like that because Clay Thompson um, and Stephen Curry, they're both quite poised. Iguodala, when he plays, he's poised. And Kevin Durant, he looked, he looked poised to me uh, last night. Uh, normally, sometimes he can have an... Uh, yeah, how do you say it? He can be a little bit fiery too. Uh, but they need that Draymond. They need that side of Draymond sometimes to get in the flow of the game. Uh, I, th- I thought it was, it was amazing. I thought it was, it was fantastic. And it was a big reason they won the game, even though in offense he didn't do a lot of, a lot of scoring. They don't need him to, actually. But he right. was, was just great. And I think more importantly, they have Steve Kerr and your good buddy Ron Adams, who actually spoke to Draymond. There was an early timeout, and it was right in the middle of this Draymond craziness, and they just had a quick chat with him. And I heard on the broadcast that Quinn Cook and another teammate of of his, there were there were there were some fiery words going back and forth. But I think the message to Draymond was, you don't need to be this amped up against the players. Just use it to your ability on defense and that's what he did uh, and those messages from Kerr and I think he he handles Draymond very well because he doesn't he doesn't snap he doesn't say hey Draymond we don't need you to do this we don't need you to lose this game for us mm-hmm. he actually has his back he shows that he has his back and I'm sure in most of these instances he's actually fuming inside but he just makes sure that Draymond comes back down to earth and you, as you say, you need... that's so important. That's so important if, if a coach does that for yeah. a player, especially for a player with the temperament that Draymond Green has. That kind of player wants to feel backed up because if a coach starts yelling at him, he feels like the player, like the coach is taking the side of the refs or the other team, or yeah, he just feels the frustration. And if he's frustrated on the floor and frustrated with the refs and frustrated with his own coach, that's a bad combination. And if you see that the coach has your back and sometimes even takes over complaining to the rest or something like that it can calm a player down and it can help him and it can help him in future plays too that that make him yeah more easy going sometimes one of the most fascinating aspects before this series began was what Golden State were going to do with Kevon Looney and how Clint Capella was going to play for Houston and as we saw Looney didn't start which was what a lot of people were talking about might happen but he did come on early. You had Iguodala early foul trouble and conversely Trevor Ariza who picked up his fifth foul very early in the second half. That was a big moment. But yeah, stupid foul. Um, Looney came in pretty early on and he showed that he was very adept at guarding James Harden and Chris Paul on the perimeter. The Rockets were always going to target Steph Curry and the big man whether if they had a big man on the court. And I thought Looney did a great job. He if if people don't know, he was a point guard in high school in Milwaukee. He he was the tallest guy on their team, but he actually played point guard and spent one year at UCLA. But he obviously has that ability to to run an offense, and in conversely, his footwork is good. His hands are up. He doesn't. I mean, what James Harden is trying to do is make you guard with your hands, as Chris Webber was saying on the broadcast. Guard with your hands, not your feet and your eyes. But Looney didn't reach. He moved his feet. And they did a great job, and they didn't—they didn't double team. They made sure on the wings, the Warriors, while Looney was out there on an island, they stuck to the shooters, and they trusted Looney to defend. And that's why you didn't see many lobs. That's why you didn't see so many open threes because they stuck to their guns. And on the other side of that, Capella, I thought, did a good job. He had a steal of Curry at one point, and he—he showed that he's going to play high minutes, and he needs to be able to because he offers something that the Rockets just don't have without him. I think Capella did a great job too. So, uh, a couple of times against Stephen Curry. You could see Curry isn't 100% yet. He, he misses the explosion, uh, the explosiveness in his first step, uh, in his drives to the basket, in his step backs. You see that. Um, but Capella did a great job standing in front of him. He, he's got quick feet too, like you say of Looney. I think Capella has the same thing. He's got really quick feet. Of course, he wasn't a point guard in his, uh, in his earlier days in Europe. Um, but he's adapted adapt quite greatly, I think, to to how to, to switch and how to defend on smaller, quicker players. Um, for the Warriors side, yeah, Kevin Looney did a good job. Um, he stayed in, in front of Harden, even though Harden made a lot of shots against Looney. Sometimes he's just too good. You can't do anything about it, he, how good you're defending anyway. Um, 
but another thing is, and that what that's what struck me um, really hard. Um, it's so much easier to, to defend ISO basketball. It just is. And if you've been watching the Warriors at uh, the Rockets games uh, this season, you know what's going to happen. You know what they're going to do. You know their mo. Uh, you know there's little surprise in their game. And the contrary to the Warriors, because you also know what the Warriors are going to do. But that can be much more surprising the way they move the ball the way the, the way they move without the ball um and houston doesn't have that doesn't have that enough you know if harden has the ball it's going to be an iso he's going to dribble through his legs 500 times in 20 seconds and he's going to go for a layup for a step back three or for the alley-oop with capella or to kick out the balls to a shooter mm-hmm. those are the four only options Every time, every offense, and I think it's easier to to um, come up with a game plan against that. And I think you saw that too. The offense, the defense that Golden State had was much more organized. Uh, they had a better communication in what they did. Uh, on the other hand, I think Houston made too many mistakes in defense, too many errors. Um, they didn't communicate well enough. How many times did you see that two or three guys were pointing at each other and that one guy, one guy, and especially Clay Thompson, was left wide open? Mm. That just happened way too much, according to me, and that's lack of communication, lack of knowing who you have to defend in the right moment. You saw that when Ariza went out in the beginning of the third with his fifth foul, General Green came on, and I think a minute later, um, I think it was Clay Thompson, he got a wide open shot because P.J. Tucker and General Green and um, I don't know who the, the third guy was. I think Chris Paul. They didn't know who was going to go to Clay Thompson. That's, that's just bad communication in the beginning of a play, in the beginning of a, of a substitution. I agree, and I think I'm just look, digging out something that Royce Young tweeted today. And it was a fantastic stat. It might not have been Royce Young. Uh, essentially, Ariza, he was the only player on the Rockets who didn't get scored on in one-on-one play against Kevin Durant. He was the only guy, and when he went out, the Warriors went on a quick 7-0 run or whatever it was, and that was it. That was it. But just sticking with James Harden and the isolation basketball, again, I'm not going to overreact. It's one game, but I think the first game was huge. If the Warriors could win it, uh, they're going to want... They smell blood now. They, you know, they taste blood. They want to go in there, win game two, and get back to Golden State. And... The Rockets have made isolation basketball a a positive. Where twenty years ago it wasn't. If you sur- if you surround probably the best one on one player we have in the NBA right now in Harden with four shooters or three shooters and Clint Capella who he can just throw the ball up to, that's very very difficult to defend. But my problem with it is when James Harden starts to dribble and dribble and dribble against good defenders because they are good defenders. Even losing, that's the thing. And he that's will the thing. he will take. He will not only burn energy because he did, he does start to get tired, but he will alienate his teammates and the Warriors. What they absolutely crave and what they love to happen is even if you score the basket from that situation, Golden State will run quickly. And while the Rockets are standing around watching James Harden, they're not quite sure how they, who they're going to be switched onto on the other end. And in the end, the Warriors just swallowed them because it was perfect team basketball against a lot of isolation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if you have the ISO ball, like you said, it's what the Rockets do. They made it sexy, they made it good, they made it uh, appreciated by a lot of people. But that's how they play. We we all know that, but it's in general, it's just easier to defend on a team that doesn't have any movement without the ball than on a team that moves around a lot. It's just logical that it is that way. It doesn't mean that we're overreacting to, to game one or two, what happened. It's just, it's just general basic basketball instincts you know that it's easier to do that and if you have a guy like Draymond Green in the middle of the defense who's the anchor who's the one who who orchestrates everything then it's even harder for the offense to score on them even though they put up quite enough shots they put up uh, 106 points um, I think that that's a a really really big difference actually and Chris Webber kept saying no cuts no cuts from the Rockets and there, there there wasn't any movement there just yeah, that's true. if you want to keep James Harden at the top of the perimeter dribbling, fine. If someone cuts, it creates a little bit. But as I said, Golden State, they stayed on the shooters. They trusted in their one-on-one defense. And you had Gerald Green come in. You had Luke Mbaramute come in. They played Ryan Anderson at center, I think, for one play, one series. And those guys didn't contribute. But we talk about isolation, Dennis, and really the Warriors... As great as James Harden is, and I think he is the best one-on-one player at the moment, Kevin Durant 
<laughs> is something else. And in isolation, the Warriors have their own version of isolation basketball because, let's face it, they don't play the way they did when they won their first title. No, that's true. But and if Durant has the ball in a mismatch or Durant has the ball, you know he wants to go one-on-one. You don't see the four other guys just standing around and looking like you, like you just said, Max. Mm. Every every other rocket, if Harden starts dribbling through his legs, or even Chris Paul, every rocket is standing still except for uh, maybe Clint Capella who's coming up with five seconds to go to set a pick. Everybody else is just not moving. And that's the difference. If Durant has the ball, you can see somebody else trying to cut away from the ball, you, see, you can see uh, an interchange on the weak side, you can see that the guy on the baseline is going up, you see something happening, and that's a big difference. The most important thing, I think, on the off-ball movement with the Warriors, with when KD has the ball, is if you watch Stephen Curry, who's known to be a, a shooter, just watch him screen, because he will, yep. he will allow himself to get open, he will get himself open from screening and re-screening, and that is a trouble for the Rockets because they're not only concerned with Durant when he has the ball, but they have to know where Curry is. KD was just getting everything he wanted in the in the post, and it's that pull-up that he has in the mid-range. Oh, and Golden State, they shoot a lot more mid-range shots than people think. They were something like 17th in three points attempted this season. They're not that high. The Warriors, the Rockets are clearly the, the highest with something like 42. Um, and the other thing on KD was... Similar to what I mentioned about Capella and Looney, we knew that Chris Paul was going to get a lot of assignment on KD this series because of the pick and roll. Chris Paul was a scrappy defender, and I think they, yeah. would, the Rockets would actually choose to have Chris Paul guarding him at moments. But when he gets inside and he gets that pull-up off the one dribble, whether it was Paul, whether it was Tucker, he was getting his shot continuously and he was hitting it. And that's really when the game went to sleep because Durant just essentially put them to bed. Yeah, he did, he did, and they're going to they're gonna use Chris Paul on him for when Durant puts the ball on the floor, because of course you got the height, disadvantage for CP3 and advantage for, for Durant, uh, but he's got so quick hands, um, his hands are so quick, uh, of Chris Paul, that if Durant puts the ball on the floor, he could have more turnovers, but Durant was just in his groove, and if he is in his groove, we already know, according to me, scoring-wise, he's the most gifted player we've had in the last maybe 20 years um, just everything he does looks so easy, he's just too gifted defensively, what can you do against that wingspan and efficiency combined, like you said the pull up jumper he has, you can't do anything about it no. he's, he's got a, what is it, 7 foot 6, 7 foot 7 wingspan, it's just impossible, impossible to guard and I think the only one who can make life a little bit more difficult for Durant is Luka Mbaramute, but you just see that he's not healthy enough. Well, that's the other thing with Mbaramute, is if he's going to be on the floor, and it's one big reason why Ryan Anderson is not, it's because, I mean, Ryan Anderson can't play any defence, I guess it's different. Mbaramute isn't shooting the three well enough, and if Golden State are going to hide Curry or uh, a big man on anyone, it would be a Mute because he's not shooting the three ball well. There was just certain things that stood out. Houston, I think, had three or four shot clock violations because, again, Golden State trusted in their one-on-one defense. You had, for Golden State, when Iguodala was down, guys stepped in. Nick Young hit three threes in the first half, whereas the Rockets couldn't really get anything going on that side. And it's that third quarter, and then that's what I would always go back to. Golden State's third quarter is when they kill teams. And Durant said before the game, it's not necessarily that they actually step it up a level it's just that they've seen what the be- the best that the opposition can give them in the first half especially with the Rockets home court and they just continue to play their game and in that third quarter the Warriors went on a 12-2 run and that really was where the game changed because it was tied at half time and then suddenly the Warriors just had another gear yeah, and in the end, even in the fourth quarter, I still thought that Houston could come back. But then they made some some silly silly mistakes, and we have to credit the credit the Houston the Golden State defense. Excuse me, we have to credit the Golden State defense for that too, because at the end, I think James Harden had three turnovers just by going to the basket, jumping, and then deciding what to do. Um, being an old cliche, you jump to shoot, um, and especially with the athletes the NBA has these days, that's that's worth almost nothing but it was worth something for 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 James Harden in those drives because he went up he had no idea what to do the crowd um, the 
the paint and the, the, the basketball area, they were too crowded. And then when he tried to jump it outside to a shooter, there was always somebody standing in the passing line, always, always somebody jumping in and getting the steal. And that sealed it totally for, for Golden State because I, I still believe that Houston could do something in the final, in the final minutes. Yeah. Well, again, Shea Serrano, the ringer, was on absolute top form on Twitter. And he was, <laughs> he was saying Kevin Durant is a machete to the face. And my favourite one was just, he basically said that Clay Thompson looks like he just turns up. He says to his says to his friends, hey, I'm going to go, says to his wife, whatever, I'm going to go and play with basketball with my friends now. I'll see you later. And, and it, it's that it's that kind of person. I love Clay Thompson. I really do. Because oh, me too. Me he, too. He... He was he was joking with Trevor Ariza when uh, they had the jump ball early on and, and the ref kind of threw up a fake and didn't let the ball go. And just the demeanour. And he was the guy, like you said, he was left open a lot of times and he hit the he hit his shots yesterday. And that is a... It's just so many weapons. It just comes back to so many weapons. And look, the Rockets can still win this series. They can blow out teams very, very quickly. Just the amount of weapons that Golden State have and the amount of shooters they have on the floor. And I certainly don't think we saw the best of Curry. He only hit one three yesterday. It wasn't, I didn't think it was good at all. I also didn't think he was really good on the defensive end. He had some good sequences, um, some active hands. But, but you know I what, Dennis? Was... I'm sorry, yeah. to, sorry to interrupt. I would say, no, though, that I think the difference between him and Harden, though, is that Curry... I think what I liked about Curry yesterday was... He did blow by Harden and get quite a few layups, especially towards the end of the game. He didn't. He wasn't looking to force the shot. Whereas James Harden doesn't put up much of a fight on D. Curry will scrap and he'll try and that's block true. shots. That's true. Harden, that's true. He will. He will yeah. try. He will try. And that's. You totally agree. Harden didn't try at all on the defensive end. At one point, I wanted to just put marks on my paper on my notes every time he had somebody take a backdoor cut against him. Because it kept coming. Mm. It kept coming. Back door after back door after back door. And everybody who even played only basketball for one season when he was younger knows that's a cardinal sin. Don't let somebody take a back door, back door cut against you. Unless you're, yeah, you're designed that way, that the help will be there um, from the weak side that will come through the baseline. But otherwise, just pay attention. And he, was, he just wasn't paying attention on the defensive end. And we've been talk, everybody's been talking maybe way too much about Harden's defense, but it's the Western Conference Finals. You've got a team that's designed to beat the Warriors. That's what everybody kept saying all year long. That's what um, Daryl Morey said. That's what the team believed and believes. And it still can be the case, but then Harden has to pick it up a little bit. And the effort level, level just like you said, just shows some effort. I think that's really important. Yeah, and that's what that's what you can get him on. I mean, the Warriors know that if they can challenge James Harden defensively and run him around, that's what can affect his offense. Yeah. I have found the tweet, by the way. Shea Serrano said, <laughs> Clay is my fave because he always looks like he has no idea that he's in the NBA. He looks like he left his house like, hey, I'll see you later. I'm going to go play basketball with my friends. And I couldn't agree more. <laughs> I totally agree. I, I'm a Clay theist. I am. You, I really am a Clay theist. Well, there you go. Doesn't that mean you don't believe in Clay? No, I do believe in Clay. That, did you see the, 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 the little movie, The Ring Mate, about, uh, about Clay? No, Clay-theism? I would just say that a Claytheist is like an atheist. You don't believe in it. No, 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 no. That's the people who really, really believe in Clay. Just, just look it up. Look it up. Claytheism, The Ringer. <laughs> you, you love it. It's okay. really, really cool. Really cool. Um, I wanted to ask you something, by the way. What do you think of the... The defensive scheme the Warriors had by putting Durant on Harden from the beginning. Well, I noticed that they were going to make sure he couldn't get that step back too much and the length of KD. But that was on a switch more than anything, right? So he would. Yeah, but well, I thought, so, you, I, according to me, I thought I saw KD picking up Harden just from the start, just beginning on it, and then they tried to to, to get the switch so that Curry would be uh, on, on Harden, and that Curry, yeah, that's an easier target for Curry, for uh, Harden, of course. But I saw the, the straight matchup a lot in the beginning of Durant against against Harden. I think if Durant gets switched to James, it's, it's okay, because he can keep his hand up. That step back is a little bit harder to hit when you've got KD's hand in your face, but that shot at this point is basically unguardable, because Harden hits it so many times. 
and he can travel every time. He can, he can travel every time. Uh, it is a travel, right? Because we've, we've been having a lot of discussions here with uh, the guys uh, who follow the NBA, the guys who I know, and uh, some guys who say, no, that's not a travel. That's a gather. But after the gather, he takes three steps. He takes a little, every time. a little bunny hop. Yeah, it, it is a travel, but they're going to have to make a decision on it one way or the other. Just, just make it a jump stop. Just put the one step in front of the right and don't do left right. Do plant your both feet backwards at the same time and then it's, it isn't a travel. I would like to see the uh, officials call it a travel and then just see the reaction from James Harden and then, okay, well how do I go from here? Because if they eliminate that shot, it's a, mm-hmm. it's a very big weapon for him. He needs to drive more, he needs to attack more, especially if KD does come out to him. But the, pro- the, the good thing about the Warriors is, if you've got Green on Capella, then KD is fine to guard James Harden. Because you've got enough length with Iguodala, with Clay Thompson, that you can do that. Um, we're going to see a lot more changes like we are the Celtics-Cavaliers series. But if the Warriors win game two, then hey... You're gonna hear it. You're gonna hear it about James Harden and Chris Paul, but you shouldn't. You, you shouldn't. They both mm. played pretty well in Game One. But uh, the other thing did, I am did, looking. Did, did you really think Chris Paul played that well in Game One? I wasn't that impressed by Paul. By Paul, actually. What I was. Even though his numbers, his numbers are amazing. He's got 23 points, 11 rebounds, only three assists, and I just, I just wasn't impressed with his demeanor. For example, in offense, James Harden, he, he could have gone more to the basket. That's true. But I thought he was engaged in offense. It wasn't in defense, but in offense, it, it was James Harden at 41 points. Um, he was really efficient from uh, behind the line. But there was something missing from Chris Paul, and especially in the fourth quarter. You know, but you know what it is, quarter. though. It's just it's the Warriors. You you want to see it? You want to see a, more of a a different mindset. But for instance, Harden scored 41 in Game One against the Jazz. In Game 5, he had 18, and, and Chris Paul was the reason, the carrying reason why they, they would have won that series anyway, but Chris yeah, Paul was a, a better player, I think, has been a better player, and also Capella, you could argue, has been more valuable than James Harden in, in these series so far. You need a bit more of a strong demeanour, but if you play Golden State at their best, and clearly they weren't at their best in the regular season, and when Capella said after that second victory in January that they're the better team. Well, they hadn't seen the playoff version of this team yet. And that's, no, of course. That's that was on purpose too. It was on purpose. Look, all I want to see is Chris Paul and James. I think this series is more important for Harden than it is for Paul because James Harden had the San Antonio game last year and I think he needs to just show more effort on defense and step on the foot of the Warriors offensively because he has question marks in the playoffs Chris Paul, fine. He, he's been a very good player in the postseason. Whatever you say about the Clippers' meltdown, he's been a very good postseason player. Yeah, but it's only the first time he's in the conference finals too. And he's been a good postseason player, but he's also had some moments where he just didn't show up. With I, the Clippers. And the Clippers' meltdown. Chris Paul was a player of the Clippers. Only a couple. Lost. There's only been a couple of games. I think Harden, Harden has more to lose here. Because of his Harden status, Harden has more profile, more high-profile games when when you see him just disappearing. I think that's the case. You have more more sample sizes. Um, for example, you got the 2012 Finals against Miami, where Harden was a no-show. You had the series against San Antonio last year, where he just totally disappeared. He vaporized at the end. Mm. So yeah, that's true. That's true. Now I, I hate to ask predictions, but. What do you what do you think's gonna shake up in these two series and we'll start with Celtics Cavs. Celtics Cavs. Uh yeah, I already said it in the beginning and it's so I hate it I hate myself for saying it. It's so boring, but it's LeBron. It just is. LeBron, how he's going to come out I, I saw a couple of hours ago that he was already shooting in the arena more than nine hours before Be worried, be worried, Boston. Yeah, I think Boston should be worried. I think it's possible. Imagine LeBron just tonight saying to himself, um, F it, I'm going to take 40 shots. I don't think he will do that (laughs) because he's so wide like that. But I think we're going to see a much more aggressive uh, LeBron James. And if Kevin Love finds his shot, um, he finds his stroke, then we're going to have a totally different ball game. But I also think that the way the Celtics are going to present themselves is going to be totally different from what we've seen in uh, Game 1. And I thought Bill Simmons said something really interesting uh, on the Zach Lowe podcast. Um, 
he was talking about Jason Tatum that he had the feeling that Jason Tatum was being held back by Brad Stevens in game one because they had a plan, they had a defensive plan for what they wanted to do and that game two could be a coming out party in this series for Tatum and I believe that's possible. I see Jason Tatum scoring 35 points against this team because apart from LeBron, who can guard him? Yeah, I don't think they need it though. I think they need no, to stay to their system. And if Tatum finds those points within that, great. But but for me, Boston shouldn't be concerned. What they should be is confident and make sure that they stick to the idea that we aren't going to give LeBron more than 28, 30 points. We're going to make the other players beat us, and they believe that they can't. Um, the Rockets Warriors, I think. Look. James Harden had a good game, but he had funny moments. He had the little injury to the ribs. He was sat on the bench for too long, I think, in the fourth quarter. Yep. Chris Paul was in and out. You need more from Mbara Mute. Tucker didn't have his... Um, he didn't. He just didn't have his stamp on the game yesterday, and that, that will change. Trevor Ariza won't pick up five fouls in three quarters. I think he is very important to guarding Kevin Durant. He is essential for KD yep. not scoring 35, 40 points, because KD was the reason they won, really. Um, I expect Golden State to win this series, but I don't think it's going to be as comfortable as it looked in Game 1. Me neither, me neither. Um, I actually expect Golden State to win Game 2, to, uh, to go take a 2-0 series lead, because even though Trevor Ariza is instrumental for defending uh, Kevin Durant, they don't really have anybody to, to, to throw at him. And if he plays with this kind of confidence, um, and if the Rockets leave somebody open all the time, and I think I don't I don't believe that even though uh, Jeff uh, Zelik has been has doing an amazing job as a defensive coordinator uh, for the team this year, I don't believe that they, that this team can take out that many threats. And we just know it. Golden State has too many weapons. It's We've seen it all season. Um, even though they didn't play their best at all, they only won, was it 58 games this season? Something like that, yeah. Houston were something like that. obviously yeah, 64, something. 65. 58 and 65 for Houston, uh, that's it. But you just know there's always somebody who can go off. And I don't think that the Rockets will have an answer for that. Only if James Harden starts to try on defense, then things can change. But... He's too important. The perimeter players uh, for Golden State are too good. They just are. Well, Dennis, I, I, I understand you have to go and put something in the oven. So I, uh, <laughs> I appreciate your time again. And we should catch up maybe maybe after three games is our next port of call. I agree, I agree. And next week, uh, it's finally time that you come uh, on my podcast again. Yeah, X and O's, if you can speak Dutch. Dennis has a, <laughs> a podcast called X and O's, all about basketball. I have. I don't know how many Dutch listeners I have, Dennis, but I'm gonna guess it's between zero and one. No, I think it's more. Uh, <laughs> any Dutch listeners, if you're listening to this, set it up uh, on Twitter or Facebook. Let's see that your max students. The Dutch listeners will know what I've what I said, and then we'll see <laughs> what happens. You said uh, I'm. I'm never coming on this podcast again. It's a waste of time. <laughs> of course, like I, I always do that. I always do that. <laughs> Thank you to my guest today, Dennis Sire, again, host of the podcast XNOs and Play Sports TV in Belgium. You can tweet me at Max underscore Whittle if you'd like to get involved with the show. If you've got any questions for me, remember to head to iTunes. You can subscribe to the podcast there. Leave a little review and rate the show as well. We're also available on blogtalkradio.com. I'll speak to you soon. <laughs>